Hello, everybody. I am coming to you from the Seventh-day Adventist Church where we typically meet. I've tried to give this message a few times, first at home and got interrupted simply because it's not very quiet there. I tried to create quiet space. It just didn't seem to work. I'm guessing some of you may be able to relate. And I finally decided to, to get away, uh, tried recording here, and it was very, very low. So I've given this message a few times. We'll see if that makes it shorter now. I'm trying to speak loudly enough so that everybody can hear me. And uh, hopefully this recording will work all right. Clearly these are very unusual times. Preaching is typically something a little bit more dynamic when you have people who are paying attention immediately and interacting with you and God's spirit is present. It's just a little different now, but we'll do the best that we can. I hope you are able to listen to this message. We've decided to go ahead and continue in our Colossians series, Christ Above All Else, and that finds us in the next section. We've only done one section, Colossians 1, 1 through 8, which was a great section reminding us of the significance of the gospel, the good news of Christ, and telling us that this good news is being embraced everywhere across any generation. It knows no boundaries with respect to geography or even culture. And that's good. That's good news for everyone. And so hashtag do not be silent, we suggested. Again, just a couple of weeks ago, looking at Epaphras who took that good news back to his hometown and said, hey, here's what's happened to me and it can happen to you as well. It really does make a difference. That's what we looked at last week with Psalm 46. What difference does it make during a time like this to know that there is a God. And the psalmist there says we can find peace during that time. In the midst of chaos, we can be still and know that he is God. The Bible is intensely practical. I believe that very firmly. If it weren't practical, I'm not sure any of us would be totally on board. God has created a world, and he's given us that, that world to live in and to live well in and has said here's what that looks like it's intensely practical and that's no different in this next section that we're looking at let's read that i'm reading from the niv and i'm starting in verse 9 you can follow along of course in whatever text or version you would like but here's what paul says in verses 9 through 14 for this reason since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us 
from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, would you be with us as we look at this passage together, not all at the same time, but with the same listening ears, the same spirit, the same text, and we pray the same applications, or at least applications that we can make in our context so that we can see it really does make a difference. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's take a look at this passage, and I want to start by reading to you something that occurred almost 60 years ago. Uh, see, there was a young missionary then, his name was Raymond Edmund, who staggered in from an Ecuadorian jungle. He was desperately ill, and the doctor predicted that he'll be dead by, he'd be dead by morning. So Edmund's wife dyed her wedding dress black, so it would be ready for the funeral. And this was all taking place in the tropics where funerals must be held immediately. However, thousands of miles away in Boston, Edmund's friend, Dr. Joseph Ed Evans, interrupted a prayer meeting saying, I feel we must pray for Ray Edmund in Ecuador. The group prayed earnestly until Evans finally called out, Praise the Lord, the victory is won. The rest is off repeated history. Raymond Edmund recovered. His wife's dress did not. And Dr. Edmund went on to become president of Wheaton College and to minister there for 40 years years. The power of prayer. It's significant that Paul in these first 14 verses is talking about prayer and just like the prayer that we read about which someone thousands of miles away had a sense of God's spirit to pray by name for an individual who specifically needed it. Paul here never met this Colossian church and yet he's praying for them. And he believes his prayers are making a significant difference. So these verses all are about prayer. Last week through verse 8, this week or two weeks ago, this week, now 9 through 14. In the Greek, it's one long sentence. At least in my version, the NIV, it's three different sentences. But Paul here is praying one long prayer. And by the way, if you're unsure how to pray, maybe you've never had that kind of spiritual experience where you're prompted to pray somebody for somebody in dramatic fashion, although I've heard other stories of that, a good starting point is simply to use Paul's prayers. You can start right here if you don't know what prayer looks like or how to, to frame it or shape your words. Paul, who wrote, 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament has lots of prayers in his writings. Take advantage of them. And this prayer that he is lifting up for the Colossian church begins in verse 9 by saying that since they've heard about them, the day they've heard about them, he's been praying for them and asking specifically that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So there's a good prayer. God, would you fill me 
and the other people in my life, the significant individuals, with the knowledge of your will, through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That phrase, spiritual wisdom and understanding, seems to be a combined phrase describing the same thing, an understanding, a wisdom that comes that is spiritually discerned, something that a, only a spiritual man or woman can have. Paul uses this kind of language in Corinthians as well, having the mind of Christ, and that's a significant understanding because the ultimate revelation of God's will is in the person of Christ himself. In fact, Douglas Moo, a great biblical scholar, says that what Paul has in mind is not some particular or special direction for one's life, as we often use the phrase God's will, but a deep and abiding understanding of the revelation of Christ and all that he means for the universe and for the Colossians, and of course for you as well. That's significant. Hebrews looks at Christ and says, here he is, the full revelation of God in the person of Christ. The, the, God's divine reality has been expressed, as we'll see later in Colossians 1, in the person of Christ. So it seems the primary prayer here is that kind of will, to know Christ, to know Christ better. He's been fully revealed. We simply need to enter into the deeper reality of understanding who he is. And yet that does have a secondary or a spillover application because it's not just knowledge of doctrine, it's application of that knowledge. And that comes over time in relationship as we grow deeper into our own understanding of who Christ is and how that applies to life. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, is one of the scripture memory verses that we've been doing together. And you might remember there, Paul says that he urges the brothers in view of God's mercy to offer their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. He says, that's your spiritual act of worship. He goes on to say, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So there's this objective sense of the revelation in Christ, but also the ongoing reality of our minds being transformed to think more in line with who Christ has called us to be and to discern what that looks like in our everyday lives. This seems to be the kind of spiritual wisdom and understanding Paul is praying for these Colossians. It makes sense. They were struggling with how to put life together as new believers and with competing ideas. Some think Gnosticism is at work here. There's a spiritual knowledge that only I have. That's destroyed in the person of Christ, but it doesn't mitigate or diminish the reality that you're living that out in real life as well. It's a both and. We have to put these things together. And in verse 10 underscores that reality. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, 
this is why Paul was praying. We have got to live lives worthy of the Lord. We need to please him in every way. It's important to remember this is one long sentence because if you look over or wherever you are in your Bible, the verse Verses 13 and 14, it helps us understand part of what Paul is saying here, where you could kind of scratch your head and get a little off track. Verse 13 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Very important to realize, Paul sees these individuals, as we've already seen, as saints. In the kingdom of light, even in verse 12, and he said that earlier in the book. And the reason he sees them that is because those who've received the gospel have been transferred. They've been rescued from a dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, the son he loves. And in that kingdom, we have redemption. We've been purchased. The price has been paid for forgiveness of sins. And so anything that we do with respect to living a life worthy of God or pleasing him is not to earn a certain status before God. That has been secured by Christ. We are transferred into the the kingdom of the son he loves. Rather, it's an outpouring, a response to what it means to be in that kingdom, to be a citizen of heaven. Now our desires are to live a life worthy of that kingdom. Not because we're trying to earn status or even keep status, but because it's what we do out of that reality. Paul says it does matter how we live our lives. It does matter that we think, what difference does this make? Hashtag a worthy life. That's why he's praying these things. When I was in high school when I became a believer in my community a lot of people were professing faith in Christ I mean a lot there was an exciting time and there was a a vibrant youth ministry and some offshoot ministries that had a lot of people involved some however recognized there was a, a tremendous disconnect a gap between what people say they believe or said they believed and the way that they were actually living it out. In other words, people were involved in the youth group and these youth ministries during the week or maybe on a Sunday, but on a Friday night or Saturday night, they were doing something very, very different. And this created a a group of, of people in our high school where I was going to school on an air base in Germany called the anti-anti-anti-Christians. They hated Christians because they hated the hypocrisy they saw. It was an underground paper. It wasn't officially endorsed by anybody. But in that paper that they disseminated, they listed specific individuals with specific acts or words they had heard them say, things they had seen them do, even if they were just rumors. It was devastating. And as somebody who was a new believer, uh, I understood the frustration when somebody says they believe one thing and then they live life completely different. 
It was frustrating for me too. It didn't make it right, but it was understandable that when you see that disconnect, you scratch your head and wonder, does it really make a difference? Now these were young, obviously teenagers, still trying to figure out how everything fit together. But it proves the point, it did for me, is this just some sort of out there belief that has no application or change in your own life? We don't believe that's the case. That's not good news. Good news is the kind that transfers you into a brand new kingdom where you have a new reason for living and you have purpose and freedom and assurance and spilling over into all areas of life. That's good news. I had a group of friends who were serious about their faith. We used to say to each other, Co-110, Colossians 1.10. Maybe as we're passing each other in the hallways, perhaps we're part of the same sport, hanging out on a weekend, Co-110. I pray that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, that my life is oriented around that central relationship in such a way that at work, I'm asking, am I working with integrity, both in how, how much I'm applying myself to the task and in the way I'm approaching the task or thinking about it? Same thing at home, at school. This is all-encompassing. I'm all in. Not going to hedge my bets. All in. This is what it looks like to live a life worthy of the Lord. Paul says that matters. I'm going to pray you live that kind of life. And he gives four participles here in the Greek that uh, give definition to what a worthy life might look like. The first is bearing fruit in every good work. That is, that you are actually growing in fruit bearing. You're not producing the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are not things that you can produce. You simply bear that fruit by being connected to the vine. And because those are attitudes of the heart, those are character qualities, they're going to spill over, like we've said before, into what our life looks like. You know, Paul talks elsewhere about the fact that we've been made right with God not because of what we've done it's it's the grace that he's given us a a faith that's a gift from God we've received that so that we can do the good works which he's prepared in advance for us to do and one of the beautiful aspects of say the reformation in the 1500s was a reminder that that good work that fruit bearing can be done wherever you are it doesn't matter what your occupation or stage of life is. You can bear fruit. Some of that's an attitude, but it always spills over into an application as well. This makes me think also of Psalm 1, the very first verses that we memorized together this year. We turned the calendar to 2020. Blessed is the man who doesn't do these certain things, but... You know, walk in the counsel of the wicked, sit in the way of sinners, stand in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates 
day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. You can bear fruit in every good work. This is part of what it looks like to live a worthy life. How can I bloom where I'm planted? At home, at work, at play. We ought to look different. It should make a difference. A worthy life, the second part is simple, is growing in the knowledge of God. And that growth in the knowledge of God surely means understanding more of his character as it's discussed in his word, where we find he is revealed to us, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Absolutely. So our intellect, our capacity to understand, we use our minds to understand who God is. But it's not just that. When I ask at Discover Redeemer, how have you grown most in your faith or in your knowledge of God for many people? The answer, if they think about it reflectively, is in times of trial. And I can't think of a time when the globe has faced a common crisis like this. And 9-11 was specific to the United States primarily. And perhaps there have been things in your life, very hard circumstances that only a few people know about or can understand. But this is a world event. We are a world in crisis. This is a massive trial. And it's an opportunity to grow in the knowledge of God. This trial that we're facing, God is surely at work among us. That's what difference it makes. We're not wondering if things are out of control or if God has left us behind. No, we know, we understand a worthy life that's seeking to please God in every way, not as a basis for being right with him, but an outgrowing of that reality that he has secured in us. We'll say, okay, God, we're living in strange times. We are looking for how we grow in the knowledge of God during this trial. And we have trials on various levels. So the third participle here gets at that, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. This is what we need, especially in time of trial. We need strength, not strength from ourselves. This is written in a passive sense. We are strengthened with power according to his glorious might. He's the one at work. He's the active part of this. We're passive. We receive it. Paul knew what this was like. He said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm stripped of all my control and I have nothing else to go to, well, that's where God has to show up. That's where true strength is. And again, globally, we're kind of there. Financially, probably lots of question marks for some of you more than others. What are we going to do? All that we had hoped in is slowly getting taken away. It's a real crisis. Some people have no income flow. It's gone. Or they're worrying about what happens next. When we're weak, then we're strong. We need to be filled with all power according to his glorious might. We need that kind of strength for endurance. And that's what he says in verse 11. Not only strengthen with all power, just kind of out there, but for a specific purpose. So that we may have great endurance. 
Commentators look at the difference between endurance and patience, and most of them suggest that great endurance has to do with hard circumstances. We need God's strength to face hard circumstances. That is a difference maker. God, we need you to fill us. When we are weak, we need strength from you. Winston Churchill, all five foot five of him, went back to speak at his alma mater. And this was much later in his life. And he stepped up to, uh, to the podium. And these were the words that he said. They aren't many. Young gentlemen, never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Never, never, never. And then he sat down. I wonder if in the days ahead we'll need to remember that on some level. And it could also apply to the next piece of this where it's not just great endurance but also patience which is not on hard circumstances but with hard people. Give us endurance for hard circumstances, patience with hard people and that has to come from you. I imagine in a time of quarantine a lot of you need patience. Can I get an amen? Because we are with each other all the time. And, and that's hard for most of us. There's not as much of escape. God, strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might so that we can have patience. We need this. Part of a worthy life is that reliance on God's power for endurance and for patience. God help us. And the fourth, in verse 12, the fourth participle is joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father. We have an attitude of gratitude to God, the Father, for what he has done in bringing us into Christ's kingdom. It's a kingdom of light, he says. What, what does light do? It exposes everything. There's nothing to be hidden. And because it's, it's light, there's no fear. There, 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 there need be no shame. He's covered our wrongdoings. We don't have to fear the light. This kingdom of light we're being invited to and transferred into is a kingdom of freedom. And it's also a tremendous insurance. We are qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light based on what? How do we get qualified? It's not because we had to fill out something in advance to prove our credit is worthy and then only to find it's rejected and we've not got to get it better. Christ is the perfect credit. And because we believed in him, he has qualified us. It's his credit we're in the kingdom on based on that. 
it can't be taken away. His credit is perfect. So we have not just a kingdom of freedom, but a kingdom of assurance. That's why we joyfully give thanks to the Father. He's done something we cannot do for ourselves. That is a difference maker. That is a new life. That's something we have to remind ourselves about. And the first time you taste that sense of freedom and assurance and the new purpose that comes along with it, it's so life-giving. And that's part of why it seems Paul is recognizing that we have to have endurance and patience because it becomes a grind at some point, but we can still give things. We can still endure. We can still bear fruit. We can still grow in the knowledge of God. And we must. This is what Paul's praying for. A life that is worthy. And that worthy life just means our lives are different. We have purpose. We have freedom. We have assurance that we know what this good news means or we're learning more about it day by day. We're growing in it. I love that imagery of growing in the knowledge of God. We haven't arrived yet, but we're growing. And Redeemer family, I want to suggest to you that God is calling us to a time of perhaps unparalleled growth. Not in the numeric sense, but in this kind of sense that Paul is talking about here. Where we learn more and more what it looks like to apply these realities to our lives. What difference does it make? I want to encourage you in the days ahead to avail yourselves as we begin figuring out what this new reality looks like. We obviously don't know how long this will be going on for. And we're doing the best we can to make sure um, that we connect as much as possible. There's so much content out there. And there's good content, and we want to share that, but we also want to be make, making sure that we connect, perhaps in, in unique and in, in, in more beautiful ways than ever before. This Redeemer bulletin board on GroupMe, the GroupMe app. If you're not a part of that, let me know. If you're listening to me, you should know how to get in touch with me. Let me know, and we'll make sure you get on that. It shares physical needs and opportunities, and it's been very active. On Wednesdays, we'll continue to, to meet, to pray on Zoom, if you can join us. I, I'd love to have times of individual prayer with your family face-to-face -face over Zoom as well in the days ahead to make sure that I am specifically spending time with you and, and praying for you. And we don't know what else it will bring, but we know that God is here. He is in our midst. He is an ever-present help in trouble. We know that we're part of a kingdom of light. We know that God is calling us to grow and to bear fruit. We know that he's going to strengthen us with all power according to his glorious might. We know we can give thanks for this is what it's like to live a life that is worthy of the calling that he has placed on it. Wherever you are, 
whatever the circumstances are today. Father, we pray this, that we would live a life worthy of the Lord. It would please you in every good way. We thank you for the perfect sacrifice of Christ, for the transfer into the kingdom of light, and for the opportunity now to live life differently because of it. In Jesus' name, amen.